Good morning. How are you? I'm only going to speak briefly because this morning we're going to have a number of uh, our friends share with us today uh, what they're doing on the front of life and life issues. We've been talking about that all the month of January. And um, today is actually the national day where we recognize the sanctity of human life. Uh, although we think that the the unborn are more important than just one day a year. Uh, we like to spend more time addressing the importance of respecting human life, recognizing human dignity. Uh, since we live in a culture which is seems to be given over to uh, darkness in many ways and even death. Um, open your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew 16. I'm going, only going to share for a few moments and then I will introduce... Um, our guests. In Matthew 16, this is a well-known, well-known passage where we have Peter making his confession of faith, his recognition of who Jesus was. In Matthew 16, it says in verse 13, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? And they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, or the anointed one, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say also to you, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ or the anointed one. Um, I could say a lot about this text, but the one thing I want to say regarding the issue of life is that Jesus says that the gates of Hades would not prevail against his church. Now, I'm intentionally saying Hades because that's what the text says in the Greek. Some Many translations say hell, right? Especially if you read the King James, it'll say the gates of hell. Uh, the, the word here is Hades, and it's a different word. The word for hell in the Gospels is the word Gehenna. The word for Hades is the word Hades. <laughs> or in Greek, Hades. It's basically a transliteration. This is the abode of the dead, the departed, it is a place of darkness, a place of hopelessness, and it's a word that's often used for um, simply the grave. And Jesus uses it here with with that meaning. And what's what's uh, interesting about this passage is is as I was doing some reading on on this text, um, this area of Caesarea Philippi was an area that was associated in the minds of the Jews with Beelzebub, or Satan. And it was considered Satan's place, one commentary said. This was Satan's headquarters, if you will. So Jesus takes his disciples to Satan's headquarters, 
and says, the gates of Hades or darkness or death will not prevail against my church. Now, this is real important. This is real important because Jesus is giving, he's really, it's, this is a foreshadowing of the, of the Great Commission, you see. Because Jesus doesn't say, I will teach you how to build gates. I will teach you how to build a fortress so Hades won't prevail against you. He says, the gates of Hades or the walls or the fortresses of Hades will not be able to resist you, which means Jesus' church should be on the attack. The gates are defensive. So it's, it's, it's Satan and it's death and it's darkness that ought to be reeling from the attacks of God's church. Amen? But unfortunately, oftentimes what happens is the church builds gates. And the church builds fortresses. And the church's mentality is, I want to stay away from darkness. And I want to stay away from bad people. And so I will build my nice private communities and keep the bad people away from me. That's not the Great Commission mentality. That's the great omission mentality. That is running away. That is retreating when God says to His church, I want you to advance. I want you to advance. I want you to assault the works of darkness. As we saw last week when we looked at at, uh, earlier in Matthew, when Jesus says to His church, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. Allison, he was talking to you. Justice, he was talking to you. Sean, you. I could go down and put every one of your names in there. If you're a Jesus follower, he is saying to you, you are the light of the world. That's why he sends you to your job tomorrow morning. He's sending you as a light in a dark place. So God calls us to confront darkness, moral darkness. He causes us to be aggressive, if you will, to oppose darkness and death and evil. Not to retreat. Go to Ephesians 6 for a moment. In Ephesians 6, Paul... Uh, at the end, he tells his, his the church to take on God's armor. Now, if you read Ephesians and you read the whole book, you see that in the early part of Ephesians, he says that we are seated in the heavenlies in Jesus Christ. We're sitting. But then in the second section, chapters 4 and 5, he says, now walk. And then in chapter 6, he says, now stand. A lot of us just want to sit. But we have to walk and then we have to stand. We are seated in the heavenlies, but we do warfare in the heavenlies. And we do warfare on the earth. In chapter 6, verse 10, 
Paul says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. The the, the forces of evil that we see in our culture are ultimately energized by dark spirits. That's why things like abortion and injustice and oppression, these are not political issues. These are spiritual issues. And when you read the history of mankind, what you see is that there have always, there has always been the, the, the shedding of innocent blood, and there has always been the shedding of the, the blood of children. Always. It marks every pagan culture. There are dark forces, and they are bloodthirsty. And they have claimed since Roe v. Wade 56 million children. Therefore, verse 13, take up the whole armor of God. In other words, because of the opposition, because of the spiritual darkness we're dealing with, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having uh, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all things, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all saints." We don't have time to, to, to look at all the armor, but I want to make one observation. You, 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 may, have, you may have heard uh, different Bible teachers say, well, when you look at the armor, all of the armor is defensive except for the, the sword. But that's not really true. Because when, when someone goes to battle, a soldier doesn't say, he didn't say back then, oh, well, since I'm gonna, going to attack today, I don't need my helmet. Right? Or being attacked, he said, oh, well, since we're on the defense, now I can put my sword down. No, the point isn't offensive defense. The point is all of the armor is necessary because we're in the midst of a battle. You need to put it all on because we're fighting. And what are we fighting? Not people. We're fighting spiritual wickedness in high places. Those that are involved... In the pro-life movement, and it, and it should be all of us, but there are many here. But those that are involved, they are on the front line of the battle. Now, there's a lot of armchair generals, a lot of people sitting on the sidelines, right? They'll talk about life issues. They'll talk about why abortion is wrong, or they'll talk, talk, talk. But those that are engaged, those that are rescuing, those that are standing, those that are praying, those that are giving, those that are serving, they're on the front lines. And I can tell you from experience that the battle is real. It's very real. But I want to say this. I'm saying it not to you, but I'm saying to everyone that's going to hear this podcast. Abortion in America 
will end when the church decides it will end. When we decide, we the church in America, when we decide enough blood has been shed, then it will end. Because we are the only force in this nation that cares. We're the only force in this nation that has a morality that is anti-death. What other group in America, other than professing Christians, oppose abortion? There might be, a, you know, five people. Atheists for life. <laughs> but the reality is, the church is the only organization that will stop this, if it's going to be stopped. And I believe that when we decide to stop it, it will stop. And not till then. Which means that we have to be on the offensive. We must be on the offensive. The gates of hell will not prevail. That is a promise And it is a commission all in one. And when we decide to get engaged, when we decide that we will do something rather than do nothing, if, listen, 70, the the most recent poll I read just the other day, 73, 75% of of people in America say they're Christians. 75%. If every one of those people said no to abortion, we would not have abortion in America. You know, the other day we were going down to my brother's house in South County, and as you drive down 270, there's a, a uh, train track that goes over the highway, and there was a train going over. And when the train went over, it's all these, you know, Stock cars, I thought about what happened in Germany. And I thought about how in Germany, during World War II, people could see trains go by, and those trains were filled with people who were headed to destruction. And unfortunately, the church in Germany, not all, but many, many, Segments of the church in Germany failed during their their time. It was their time. Their time to shine. And they dropped the ball. Some didn't drop the ball. Some died because they were pro-life. You understand? Because they were willing to oppose Hitler's policies of death. Well, we don't have train loads of babies going to the abortion clinics, but we have multitudes going daily. And we need to seize this moment in history. We need to understand it's our time. It's our time now. And if we will stand if we will truly stand and not just say, yeah, abortion's wrong. I mean, do something. If the church in America will stand, the gates of death 
will not prevail. It is a promise from the living Lord, Jesus Christ. I'm going to close with a quote by Spurgeon. He said, When you bewail the world's iniquity, let not your emotions end in tears. Mere weeping will do nothing without action. Get on your feet. You that have voices and knowledge, go forth and preach the gospel. Preach it in every street and lane of this huge city, speaking of London. You that have wealth, go forth and spend it for the poor, the sick, the needy, the dying, the uneducated, the unenlightened. You that have time, go forth and occupy it in deeds of goodness. You that have power in prayer, go forth and pray. You that can handle the pen, go forth and write down the iniquity. Every man to his post, every one of you to your gun in this day of battle. Now for God and for His truth. For God is for the right. Every one of us, I believe, has a place in life. A place. Maybe giving, maybe praying, maybe counseling, maybe standing and praying in front of a, an abortion clinic. Every one of us has a place. And today we're going to hear testimonies about those who found their place, they're taking their place, and they're literally, not figuratively, literally saving lives. Saving lives. It's a glorious thing to behold. Before I have Diane come up, I'm, we're going to show a video. Diane Vaughn is the Regional Medical Director for Thrive St. Louis. Many of you know her. Um, I could brag a lot because she's my wife. Um, but she's here today not as my wife. She's here today as a representative of Thrive St. Louis. And she will be sharing with us and introducing others who are here today who will share their testimonies about their work at Thrive. But let's welcome Diane. This is really intimidating. I'm not a fan of being in his pulpit. <clears throat> but sometimes you just have to go with flow. God's flow, so here I am. Good morning. Thank you for being here this morning. Um, have a lot to say, but um, I'm not here alone as a representative from Thrive. There are several... Uh, other ladies here today that are part of the Thrive Ministry. And so um, if you guys can come forward, those who are involved in Thrive, whether you're on staff or in a volunteer position, and just kind of sit right up in the front there, we're going to hear from a few of them after I uh, speak for a few minutes. So. <laughs> And we also have uh, Lydia. Lydia's not here. Lydia's actually speaking at another church in the city this morning um, as a Thrive representative. And then um, we've also had Lorene Kelly be part of Thrive. Um, Tim Finch has been a driver for the mobile unit. And then we also have had Allie McCartney, and she's not here today as well. So she's been volunteering too. And I don't think I missed anybody. But I'm so proud of you guys. Oh, and Susie Snyder, Susie, she stayed in the back with her twin babies, so she's been an ultrasonographer uh, for us. Um, I'm just so proud of you guys, and I'm uh, just um, just to see how God has called different people, and, and they've jumped in. Um, 
It's, it's been really an awesome thing. And just to see them in action at Thrive has been awesome. I actually started as a volunteer myself. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm very thankful that year after year, we get the opportunity to address this issue. Um, it's, it's kind of like preaching to the choir because I know you guys are pro-life. And, um, but I appreciate your patience to sit through and hear it again. Um, I don't think we can ever, ever, ever hear it too much. And so um, just thank you for being here. Um, I've, uh, I want to thank David. I don't know where he went. Where are you? Okay. Um, anyways, um, I really want him to hear, but that's okay. Um, God will encourage him. Um, I'm just, I'm really proud of him. I remember after we had Hannah, uh, we were asked, or he was asked, he was, he was doing some speaking for this organization. Back then it was called Crisis Pregnancy Center. And he was doing some speaking at different churches and youth groups on pro-life, on the topic of pro-life. And so, um, he invited Han- uh, me to come and I had Hannah and Hannah was a baby. So Hannah has been a little activist when, since she was a little baby. And we went and David spoke to this uh, youth group on um, the value of human life and on personhood. And I knew, I knew actually when I had an ultrasound, my first ultrasound with Hannah, um, I told that nurse that someday I knew God would call me into uh, doing that and, and helping women see that the life inside of them was a human being, was a person, and it was just waiting on God's timetable. So I started out as a volunteer, and um, and but it was I I had why does it keep bumping like that? Am I hitting my? Okay, all right, sorry. Um, um, I had to wait for for really God's timing in my life, uh, and so. Um, it's good to wait for God's timing because when his timing opens up, then it's right. And so, and there's, it all flows and it, and it all comes together. And so I started as a volunteer and, um, a few years into that, I was approached and asked if I would be willing to, um, possibly consider a, a paid position on staff. And oh my gosh, I thought about it just for a few seconds because I loved what we did there. And so I took the position, and then our medical team grew. I was asked to be the senior nurse manager. Um, we kept growing, and now, um, now I'm the regional manager. And so um, even though right now we're based mainly in St. Louis, we do have three Thrive locations in Texas. And we also, as a matter of fact, have um, in Uganda, we actually have um, a group of um, people who are ministering to women with unplanned pregnancies, and so they are a thrive over there. We conti- uh, we send them supplies, we um, help with training, and so um, I, I'm I'm praying and hoping that God does not send me to Uganda because I am a homebody. I just I I like it here. So so anyways, um, it's it's just been quite a journey, but. Um, I was 10 years old when Roe v. Wade um, happened. And, of course, I was, I was in fifth grade, so I was totally oblivious. The only thing I remember about fifth grade was beating up Jimmy, this boy named Jimmy, to a pulp. 
boom, boom, boom. I shed some blood, bloody nose. Wow. I was a, I was a tomboy at heart, and that's about all I remember. Um, but it's been it's been 42 years. <laughs> Be nice. Um, it's been 42 years since the legalization of abortion, and. Um, as David said, more than 56 million uh, babies have been aborted since then. Um, and I don't know if you remember last year when we had a couple uh, different organizations come and share. Uh, Brian Westbrook had shared that just in Missouri alone, in St. Louis, there is over 6,000 babies that are aborted every year in, in our city. And it happens in our city, St. Louis, uh, because it's the only abortion clinic that we have here in Missouri. But another year has gone by, and wow, the more I'm doing this, the more I become just more and more convinced that I'm right where I'm supposed to be, the more I'm convinced that everything I've gone through um, has prepared me. And so I'm I'm really grateful for that. Um, So some of you know what Thrive does. Um, but those, for those of you who don't, I'm just going to give you a really quick little glimpse of kind of what we are all about. Um, we started in 1983, and um, we are an organization. We started out as Crisis Pregnancy Center, then it became Pregnancy Resource Center, and now we are Thrive St. Louis. And we empower women with... Um, just the ability to make healthy and life-affirming choices. So we have a lot of different, our statement, or you can go back again, just our um, mission statement is uh, that we are a Christ-centered organization that empowers young men and women to make life-affirming, esteemable, and healthy decisions about sex, unplanned pregnancy, and relationships. And then we have a variety of things that we do. We have three brick-and-mortar uh physical, medical centers, and the majority of Thrive exists and operates with volunteers. So we do have paid staff, but we have over 100 volunteers. We have volunteers, they come as lay people that are trained to be advocates for women coming into the centers and do consultation. We have medical uh, personnel, nurses, doctors, nurse practitioners, um, uh, sonographers, and um, we have uh, men uh, and several men who they're retired, but they go ahead and they volunteer and drive our big mobile units and our our mobile medical centers. Which we started that just a few years ago. We this week we'll be picking up our third medical mobile unit, which is really exciting. And um, that one is destined specifically to go to the college campuses because I don't know if you're aware of this, but across the country, our college campuses are overrun by Planned Parenthood. They have them. And so God is opening some doors for us to go in and um, be on the offensive, and we're really excited about that. Um, We also have a a program. It's called Parent University, so we can really help these women, not just in their decision-making process, as we educate, as we offer an ultrasound, and every all all of our services are free, which is really, really cool. And the doctors that... Um, volunteer their time, they are just some of the most humble, godly people I have ever met. Um, and um, I, I appreciate them so much. 
But um, Parent University is a program for women who have decided to have their babies, and then they... Um, we, we, we are able to equip them just with the skills of being a parent. Y'all, all of you parents out there know it's the hardest job in the world. It is the hardest job in the world. And so um, you need a little help. And so especially a lot of these women, they're single. They've been just, you know, abandoned by their um, boyfriend, their families, and don't have anybody. And so we can provide a, a way for them to just... Um, Get a little help in what it's, what it's going to be like to be a parent. If they go through the program, it's it's almost a year program. It's once a week. We offer a Bible study with that program as well, and um, uh, they get what call, what we call baby box. It's like Monopoly money, and then they can take those those baby box and go to our all of our center, our brick and mortar centers have a resource shop, and so we have people who donate supplies, donate diapers, baby wipes, clothes, bigger items, car seats. Etc. And they can take this baby box and they can get stuff in our store. So it's a really, it's not a handout. It's a help, a, um, a help up, and we provide skill education, and then they can come and, and um, get material resources. Um, we also provide post-abortion support and care. So um, you know, there are many, many women who um, have uh, um, had an abortion, and it's interesting. The women we see come for help with that program. They are older, um, and it's interesting. You know, some women that we get that come into the centers, they um, might have been there before, or um, or they might be post-abortion themselves. And maybe, I mean, some of them have had two, three, six abortions, and they are they're totally um, they're very numb. But they will tell you, "I'm fine." And so they don't really see their need at that point. Um, I think often they, they just get a sense of relief. It's over. I don't have to worry about it anymore. But the women who come to the post-support group, uh, post-abortion support group, um, they're older. And I, and I think life has a way taking us through life, um, and God has a way of then bringing them to that place where they're ready to talk to somebody. So we offer that. And then um, we have our mobile medical centers. And then we have our best choice program. That's a uh, sexual health integrity program. We are in over 50 schools in the St. Louis, uh, St. Charles area. Lydia is one of the educators. And um, it is amazing the students that we're reaching with a life-affirming message and then also a message of abstinence, which is really, really awesome. Um, Okay, you can go ahead and... So there's um, some of our medical units. The lower right-hand side is our new one. They all have names, Sue, Kent, and Jake, and they all have meanings to the names. Sue uh, was donated by a woman. by Her name was Sue, and it stands for such unique evangelism. Um, Kent is the one that stands right outside of Planned Parenthood six days a week, Monday through Saturday, and it, and it was donated by the Knights of Columbus, and it stands for a Knights um, evangelizing new territory. And then our new one, Jake, that will, it's kind of a more downsized mini little unit, but we'll, we'll be able to do pregnancy tests and ultrasounds in there. It has a little bathroom in there. It's amazing. Exam table. Wow. Um, but that, I mean, as you walk in, it's just like, oh my gosh, it's, this is crazy. But, um, it, the name is Jake and a church, um, the journey has actually been very instrumental in providing a lot of donations to see Jake come to fruition. Um, and so that stain, stands for Journey Advancing Kingdom Evangelism. 
So it, it's kind of neat. So there's our fleet. And then um, you can go to the next slide. Um, there's Jake again. Yep, yep, got to be trendy, you know, and meet these young people where they're at. Um, and just, just a few stats. So um, in 2014, just this past year, we saw 1,350 ultrasounds, um, choices for life, 1,000. Yes. Okay. All right. All right. I'm, get, I'm getting a little teaching, yeah. All right. Coaching. Thank you. Okay. All right. There. All right. <laughs> I'm out of my comfort zone up here. Um, okay, choices for life, 1,630. Um, uh, the women who attended our parent university, 527. Um, we are able to be true medical missionaries and missionaries here in our own backyard. We can present the gospel. Um, it's not, we don't have to be politically correct. We always ask permission. We never force Jesus or the Bible over somebody's head. But um, this past year, we were able to give 1,461 gospel presentations. Um, we had over 21,000 students receive the best choice program in the different schools, secular and private. Um, and then since the past 31 years, since we've been in existence, you see those numbers too. Um, serviced over 62,000 people, women, men, um, almost 20,000 choices for life. So, yes, God is good. Um, so that's a little bit about what we do, what we're all about. We actually, um, after the service, if you want to talk any, to any of one of us, we have a table back there, and you can pick up some more information if you want. But um, I'm going to go ahead and let some of our volunteers here share a little bit about how Thrive has impacted them since they've started, maybe a, a story that they want to share about a, um, a particular, particular woman who came into to our center. Um, I started out the year with this uh, um, survey. We have these surveys that the, the, the women fill out before they leave, and, and it's anonymous. But um, So this was the beginning of 2015, and this young woman um, was completely devastated. She's a person, a person. We think they are, they are terrible people, but she was a person, and she was hurting. She came to us. What a way to start the year. I love Thrive and the employees. Without Thrive, I don't know where I would be. Pretty cool. So I'm going to um, invite Melinda up first, or Allison. Allison up first. Yes. Now Allison's going to share for a few minutes. Um, Allison actually works uh, part-time for Thrive. And so at our, I am based mainly in our St. Charles Center, um, although I have to do site visits, so I go all, all around. But um, but we needed some help, and um, I kept praying, and the center manager there was praying, and Allison's name came, kept coming to my mind. So I asked her if she'd be interested, and I jumped to it. Here we go. <laughs> so Allison, go ahead. I get the podium. Um, so yeah, my name is Allison. I am new to working at Thrive. Like Diane said, I work part-time. Um, I'm actually one of the babies being so new to this baby-saving ministry. Um, I started the last weekend of August, and it's been amazing ever since. 
And I'm just going to jump right to it. I have four moments that have really stuck to mind ever since I started. And the first one is actually my first day there. I was uh, super nervous. I dressed up super nice, didn't know what to do, just sat in a chair and heard everyone talking to patients on the phone and in client rooms and stuff. And then um, my boss, Carolyn, she asked me if I would be a witness to an ultrasound. I was like, okay, sure, no problem. So I go into this ultrasound room, and there's this 18-year-old girl lying on the seat, um, getting ready to have her ultrasound, and the nurse is talking to her and stuff. And then the lights go off, and the ultrasound starts, and I saw this 18-week-old baby pop up on the screen. And it was like, kind of like went a little ashen, because I'd never seen an ultrasound before. Went a little quiet. It was like, so here's this like baby. You see everything. You see the head, body, feet, hands, fingers. You see little toes. You see that heartbeat just go. It was so amazing. And I saw this 18-year-old girl, and she had this boyfriend. They were going to keep the baby, and she was so excited when she saw that baby literally bouncing around in her belly. Every time the probe would move, the baby would float. It was amazing. Um, So that's the first moment. And then the second moment was actually at our Thrive Annual Dinner. Tons of people were there. It was beautiful. See, a thousand or thousands of people were there. And we had the guest speaker, Abby Johnson, who was once the per- main person at an abortion clinic. She was like the president of one. And she was speaking. And at one point, she was talking about her old job. And throughout this whole dinner, there would be noises and coughing and sneezes and stuff. But when she started talking about what her job goals were, and the numbers she had to meet, the whole room went quiet. There wasn't a single cough, movement, nothing. As she started talking about the number of babies that she needed to meet as a quota for her job. She made it sound like it used to be kind of like a video game where you get rid of someone, you got a point. And you needed to get hundreds of thousands of points for your job. And the room was so quiet. Even my brother, who doesn't know God, he was still. and couldn't fathom what she was speaking. My third moment is um, a couple weeks ago, actually. They were short staff and volunteers on the mobile medical unit that sits right across the street from Planned Parenthood. So I get to work at St. Charles, and my boss, Carolyn, asks me to go help out and just sit there in case they need someone to do something. And she thought it was kind of like, you know, a strenuous task for me to drive all the way out to the city and go do that, but I was excited because I didn't get to see a medical unit before. So I get there, and um, I walk in. The place is amazing. Like, for such small square footage, there's places for them to sit, places for them to eat snacks, places for them to have their ultrasounds and their pregnancy tests done. And so... um I'm sitting there, and we have walk-ins from Planned Parenthood come over to have something done at our mobile medical unit. And this one girl came with her mom and uh, her two little brothers. They were probably, one was four and one was five. 
They were super little and super adorable. And I remember sitting there at my computer, looking at those two boys, and then looking right across the window to Planned Parenthood. I think that was the moment it was most real to me of what was really going on, that spiritual warfare of seeing the building of death and life inside this little tiny RV. Two boys running around, wanting more candy, laughing, jumping on me, seeing what I was doing on the computer, asking me if I got cool stuff for Christmas from Santa. And then that building. And I saw the Coalition for Life people praying and talking to every single car that went through. And just that few hours alone, I was there that day. They had four people who were driving into Planned Parenthood, drive right out, and come to our center, our little mobile medical unit. Um, and then my fourth moment, my last one, and I'll finish with this, um, just a week or so ago, there was another ultrasound, and this person was very undecided, leaning towards abortion. She was young, probably late teens, early 20s. And um, I had to witness her ultrasound. And this was the first undecided person that I had to witness an ultrasound for. And so she's laying down. They start the ultrasound. And while the nurse is doing the ultrasound, she had her eyes closed, was shaking, and couldn't even look at the screen yet. She just... Let the nurse talk, look around at stuff at the baby. It was a 13-week-old baby, so you could see the body, the head. You could see the heart just going like crazy, performing for its life. And um, finally, she opens her eyes, takes a deep breath, and looks at the screen. And her face was amazing. Because all of a sudden, she looked at that screen, stopped shaking, and a slow smile came on her face. And all I heard was her whisper the word, wow. Wow. And, you know, as a witness, like, we're supposed to be serious. You can't really say much. I'm like, but inside I'm like. Because <laughs> the fear that was on her face and the trembling just stopped. She just smiled a little bit. And she just watched a baby move. And it was dancing for its life. Every time the probe would move, it'd jump. Its heart was going like crazy. It was awesome. So, um, yeah, I wasn't expecting any of this to be a part of my journey in life, to be a part of Thrive. But I'm really glad God put my name on Diane's heart and on her mind because it's been really intense and emotional and incredible. Okay, Melinda. I, um, I've been working at Thrive for almost a year. It'll be in February. And um, it is one of the most um, God-centered places I've ever been in. Um, it is the most wonderful experience to arrive and to bathe the day in prayer. And they are serious about doing that. And it is just so... Um, it's just so rewarding. That is such a blessing. Um, and I want to encourage anybody, if you're the least bit interested in volunteering there, they, they can use you. They, you don't have to be experienced in lots of different things. You can 
fill packages. You can um, you can help in the resource room. There are just a multitude multitude of ways you can help. Um, so I just want to encourage you if if you're considering that. Um, when Diane asked me to think about a memory, the the one memory that popped up in my mind, um, I was observing Carolyn, who is our branch director. Um, we had a couple out in the lobby, and there was a little girl there. And so Carolyn asked me to go call the, the mother into the counseling room. Well, I walked out into the lobby, and you could have cut the tension with a knife. It was so thick. They weren't talking to each other. This girl looked like she had, um, you know, uh, uh, she just was, looked like she could punch the first person that would touch her. She was just, she had a million rips on her clothes. She just had a tough appearance to her. And so I called her back, and we got into the room, and her arms were closed, and her mouth was tight, and Carolyn started to talk to her, and you could just see her body loosen. Her body language absolutely changed. And she started saying, wow, I I didn't know you all were even here, and really, you offer that, and you offer that, and... And, you know, when you start hearing words like that, it's like there's some softening going on. And sure enough, she just got softer and softer. And so then Carolyn asked me to go get the, the father of the baby. And, oh, by the way, this, this woman was abortion-minded. And so I brought the man back, and he had the little girl with him. And they had been there a long time. The little girl was really tired. And so Carolyn finished talking to the girl, and then she wanted to address some things to the man, and, and I knew she wanted him to be able to hear, and I I didn't know if I could ask to hold the little girl on my lap, but um, I pulled out a pen and some paper where the little girl saw it, and she just immediately crawled up into my lap, and so I just held her, and, and we were doodling, and so the man was really focusing in, and as he was listening, it dawned on me, I just, I had this heaviness for this man, because by law, a man has no say as to what the woman does with her baby. And I thought, this this man's child mm-hmm. is hanging right here. Mm-hmm. And I just felt so sorry for him. And so I just continued to occupy a little girl, and he kept listening, and he'd look at her. And when Carolyn was done talking, oh, and by the way, she said, by the way, my grandmother was real pro-life. And I'm thinking, this woman's changing. And so when it was all over, Carolyn left the room, and that man turned and locked eyes with me. And he he turned in such a way she couldn't see him, but he said, thank you. And I knew it wasn't just for, you know, holding his little girl. I think he really believes she has changed her mind. Now, of course, we're not supposed to, you know, read between the lines or infer anything, you know, or just to stick to what they say, you know, which is real important. But that was just my heart, feeling that. Well, a week went by, and I was cleaning something out in the lobby, and the door opened, and this girl came in. And I'm looking at her, I'm going, oh, I feel like I should know this girl, and I can't think of her name. And all of a sudden, it dawned on me, it was this woman. She had a skirt on. She had fixed her hair up differently. She had put on makeup. She had a totally different demeanor about her. She was bouncing in. And she said, I just came by to let you all know that I've kept the baby. So I just, yeah, it, it was very exciting. 
And so we're not just saving lives, we're transforming lives. Okay, Nancy. Do you want to go up? Sure. Okay. And then we'll have Kathy. To continue on and add what Melinda said, um, how are you, each of you, advancing the kingdom? Um, Proverbs 29.2 says, when the righteous thrive, the people rejoice. Mm. It's what happens um, when a woman walks in um, to thrive. You know, it's a worthy place. Yeah, it's January, so you're reevaluating where are you volunteering. You can volunteer many different ways, as Melinda said. Um, the greatest opportunity at Thrive that I have found is we can share. I can share the gospel with a woman. Um, I can give her a Bible, and I can pray with her. Um, God changes the heart. Um, it's a, it's a great opportunity. So Thrive gives resources. These women come in. Um, what uh, What is a challenge is, and God does it, women walk in that are completely different than how I grew up and who I am. Um, their age, their lifestyle... Um, they don't know the Lord, and God enables each of us volunteers to accept that woman for who she is, a child of God. Um, we can share, and just God, the Lord, does amazing things with me, with each of us volunteers, and with the women that come in for help and the resources. So next, who's next? Kathy, you're Kathy. next. Okay, um, I just like want to cry. <laughs> um, okay, like before um, I volunteered at Thrive, um, I had like this picture of what a woman that would have an abortion looked like, and I just believed, you know, she was probably off the street, or she did drugs, or you know, she just didn't really care about herself or whatever. Um, so I basically judged these women. But like Nancy said, they are a child of God. They just don't all know him yet. And so one day, it was like probably one of the first two weeks that I was there, a girl came in, and she was abortion-minded. And we went in, and then we're talking to her, and she's supposed to check that she was abortion-minded on her paper. And she hadn't done it. And she um, she didn't even want to say it, but we questioned her whether she was which you know pro-life, or did she want to keep the baby? Did she want to parent? Did she want to abort or do adoption? And she kind of turned away and just was like, abortion. And you have to check it. And so she, um, I don't, were you in there with me? Maybe it was Carolyn. I think it was Carolyn. So Carolyn said, um, you know, you have to check that. And she didn't want to check it. And
sorry, Carolyn pushed the paper over to her and just said, just put a check weight where you want it, okay? And so she took it and she checked the abortion and just threw the paper because she didn't really, she knew it was a baby. She talked about it being her child's. But she was like, I just had a baby last year, and I can't do this again. And so, you know, we can sit in our houses, and we can sit here in church, and we can judge these people. But you know what? They need God, and they need us to love them, and they need us to pray for them. And we as a church need to pray for boldness so that we can talk to these people and tell them about Jesus because it's not political. It is about their heart. And so I just begged you guys, don't just talk it about it. Don't just say you're pro-life. If you're pro-life, you're going to every single day be talking or praying to God for these people, for these girls that are coming in and feel like they they cannot parent because they can, or they can give them to somebody that can. So just, I just, I just pray that you guys would just ask God where you can serve. If it's praying every day, if it's coming to the clinic, if it's just all these different things, just don't say no. Because God needs you. He needs you to volunteer. We're going to play another video clip. So those were images of ultrasounds. And as you can see, it is a human, a person. Um, An image bear, as the president of Thrive likes to say. Um, Her name is Bridget Van Means. She's an incredible woman, and um, I want to encourage you to pray for Bridget. If you can pray for her every day, that would be awesome. Um, But she refers to uh, people as image bearers. We we bear the image of Jesus Christ. We bear the image of God, and and they're humans. Uh, I'm going to close with this verse, and I, uh, I know you all know this verse. It's out of Isaiah 49. Um, And it says, can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yes, they may forget. And the images, those babies, they get forgotten about. Moms and dads forget about them. But the verse continues, and it says that God... He will not forget. God will not forget. Uh, one last client story. Um, this young girl came in just a few weeks ago. Uh, I did her ultrasound. She was 15 weeks pregnant, um, and she was abortion-minded. The boyfriend was abortion-minded. Uh, the boyfriend um, was, um, I, I apologize, a jerk. And um, in the ultrasound room, as soon as she saw the baby, she this young 17-year-old girl reached for his hand, and he pulled it away. And I saw her face well up with anger. After the ultrasound was over, 
she told me she planned to abort. And I was so mad. She was the coldest, hardest young person I've ever seen since I'd been a Thrive. And I thought, what in the world has happened to this little girl? That she could be so hard and so full of hate. I was equally appalled at my heart. I was so mad. And I wanted to just lash at them and give them a piece of my mind. And they left, and I knew I needed my staff to pray with me and for me. And this is the hardest part about my job, because I see the babies, and I see the end result. And I hear about it, and it's emotionally hard. But you, you, you have to go on, just like that initial video we showed. We can't give up. You have to press on. You have to go on. These women are in such great need, and they're so they're being so lied to and deceived by an enemy. And so, I keep going. I keep asking God to change this, to give me more love, more compassion. And he does. And he continues to, to draw out the, the dross. And I, I get to go through my repentance and my confession. You all know William Wilberforce. He said this. He said, If to be feelingly alive to the sufferings of my fellow creature is to be a fanatic... I am one of the most incurable fanatics ever permitted to be at large. This uh, issue of life is very near to my heart. And um, over the years, I've seen Christian friends and Christian family just wane and grow apathetic and indifferent. And, um, And it saddens me. So I just I thank you for being willing to listen. I thank you for being open to maybe what God wants you to do. I know there's a lot of areas of ministry. Not everyone's called to this one. But just do something for the kingdom of God. Do something. Time is short. The world is in chaos. Jesus is coming back. And um, so with that, I'm going to give it back over to David. Um, little boxes back there in the back. We gave these out last year. And um, there's a surprise, a surprise inside. It's different than the surprise of last year. But it's, it symbolizes a certain gender. And we're asking whatever gender you get, if you could get bring back a little outfit so we can put in our resource shop, either a boy clothing or a, a baby girl clothing from three months to 24 months. And then at the end of uh, February, we'll go ahead and take them to St. Charles and put them in the resource shop. So the boxes are in the back. There's back only, and but there's only 30, right? Yeah, so one per family. Um, and then um, also just to remind you to pray for us. Good. Well, why don't you sit over here? We're going to pray for you. Where's okay. Pastor Mike? Come forward. We're going to pray over. Uh, Susie, would you come up, please? Susie's also, uh, she's actually an RDMS by trade. Her, well, she, what she really is is a mom, but... Uh, <laughs> um, but she's been involved in Thrive off and on. She has twins, so right now she's taking a little sabbatical. Um, but she's 
is very critical to thrive success. Amen. So thousands of babies being saved, many, many women coming to Jesus Christ. It's really awesome. We appreciate you guys. Excuse me, you gals. I would like to say this. It would be really cool if we do this next year and there's some men up there. Some men. Let's do it, men. Right? There's ways that you can be involved. You can counsel men. You can drive uh, the mobile units. There's other things you can do. So uh, please speak with Diane uh, about getting involved. Uh, Mike, I'll let you pray first, and then I'll, then I'll close. Father, we come before you, and we thank you for how awesome you are, how powerful you are, that um, these ladies um, sitting before us, God, that have gone and done your work, Lord, they've done it in your strength. I pray that you would continue to Strengthen them, continue to persevere. God, give them the words in those tough situations that they would be your words. Um, soothing words, Lord, words of healing, words of hope for those ladies. We do pray, God, that you would stamp out abortion in this um, city, in this state, God, completely, and in this nation. Use us, God, to accomplish that. We do pray for the ladies that come in um, day after day, week after week, that are abortion-minded, Lord, that you would use these ladies and thrive as a whole, God, to, um, to minister to them, to let you change their hearts, God. And I pray, God, as the gospel is going forth with these ladies, that there'd be um, just not a change of mind on the pro-life issue, but just an inner change, God, in their own soul, Lord, of coming to know you, God. So as, as we're going forth with the pro-life message, we're going forth with the gospel. Lord, bless Thrive. They've made some huge um, strides, God. In the last few years, you've blessed people to give financially, um, may you continue to protect that ministry, to put a shield about them. May they, you continue to give the leadership wisdom and discernment as they um, are strategic, God, and standing for life. Um, may you get the glory through this organization. Father, I agree with those prayers, and I do pray for uh, for each one of these volunteers, really for all the Thrive volunteers, that they would have a spirit of discernment, and they would realize that... Uh, the real enemy here is not the woman or the man coming in the door. The, the real enemy is, isn't even Planned Parenthood, but Lord, the real enemy are these spiritual forces. And remind each of these volunteers that they are, they have a big target on their back because they are on the front lines and teach their hands how to do spiritual battle, Lord. Teach them how to pray, teach them how to be discerning and make them strong so they can stand. Fill them with the strength of the Lord that they can continue to stand for life and stand for your gospel. We, we do give you glory and honor and praise for all that you've done through this ministry. We um, just thank you for saving literally lives and also, Lord, saving souls. And um, we just thank you that you've allowed us as a community to partner with Thrive and, and to... Uh, place really such a significant role in this uh, so vitally important struggle for life. Lord, we give you all the glory for all the babies saved and all the souls saved. To you, Jesus, be all the glory both now and forever. Amen.